The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by Cleveland Clinic, ranked number one in the nation in heart care 24 years in a row, according to U.S. News & World Report. For information on the complex cases treated at Cleveland Clinic or to get a second opinion, visit clevelandclinic.org slash heartcare. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, April 29th. In today's news, socialists win big in Spain's snap election. The NRA is gripped by infighting, and President Trump counts on the Supreme Court to keep his tax returns private. But first, the big idea. Rabbi Yisroel Goldstein was preparing to deliver his sermon in Poway, California on Saturday morning, the final day of Passover, when he walked into his synagogue's banquet hall and heard the deafening bang. Only moments before, Lori Gilbert Kay, his friend of two decades and a congregant at Shabbat of Poway, had stopped the rabbi to ask what time Yizkor would begin. That's a seasonal prayer meant to celebrate and remember those who have died. The 60-year-old and her husband were there with their 22-year-old daughter, They wanted to honor Kay's mother. The rabbi had just told her it would start at 11.30. So when he heard the bang, Goldstein thought Kay may have fallen, or that perhaps a table had toppled. When he turned to look, though, he saw not Kay, but a man wearing sunglasses and holding an assault rifle. The rabbi recalled at a news conference on Sunday that he couldn't see the man's eyes, and he couldn't see his soul. Soon there were more bangs moving in his direction, which Goldstein said he realized were gunshots, The rabbi raised his hands and bullets badly mangled his fingers. Shrapnel injured two others, both Israeli nationals, before the shooter's gun miraculously jammed, as the rabbi put it. A 19-year-old man identified by authorities as John Ernest, apparently a white supremacist who had written a manifesto, was chased from the synagogue and fled in a car, according to witnesses. Eventually, he was arrested and is in custody. Goldstein, bleeding badly from his hands, herded a group of young children outside, including his four-year-old granddaughter. He made his way back into the banquet hall where he finally found Kay. She was lying on the ground, unconscious. Beside her was her husband, a physician who had tried to save her, but he had fainted. The couple's daughter emerged, screaming. Ultimately, the rabbi and the Israeli nationals survived their wounds. Kay did not. The third shooting victim, Almag Peretz, was visiting from Israel. He was attending the synagogue with his family, who moved to San Diego eight years ago from the town of Sterot, along Israel's border with the Gaza Strip, to escape the onslaught of rocket fire there. Peretz, who still lives in Israel, told a local TV station that dodging rocket fire has become instinctual and that those instincts saved his life. One of Peretz's nieces, Noya Dahan, just nine, was injured in the face and leg by shrapnel and was treated at a local hospital. The family moved to the United States to escape violence and to be able to worship in peace. Then, a few years ago, their home was spray-painted with swastikas. Now, the shooting. Dahan told CNN that his children asked him on Saturday, quote, Why are we staying here? At the news conference on Sunday afternoon, the rabbi stood before reporters with his hands wrapped in bright blue bandages. The index finger on his right hand was missing, a permanent reminder he'll have of the shooting. 
He thanked the mayor of Poway and the sheriff's department, and he thanked President Trump, too, for a 15-minute phone call that he said made him feel supported. Then the rabbi took the opportunity before a captive audience to deliver the sermon that gunfire cut short on Saturday morning. The prophecy of Isaiah, he explained, is that, quote, the world is going to see a better day. Let's pray he's right. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, the Socialist Party of Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez won the snap election Sunday in a moment of bitter political polarization. With almost all the votes counted, it looks like the Socialists will win 123 of the 350 seats in the Congress of Deputies. This is a strong endorsement of Sanchez's unapologetically left-wing policies, which have included a major pension overhaul and raising the minimum wage by 22% this year. The Socialist Party will, in theory, be able to form a governing coalition with the far-left anti-austerity Podemos faction, and it will probably gather the necessary 176 seats by joining forces with a number of Basque regional parties. Podemos signaled its willingness to work with Sanchez, a social democrat, however reluctantly. Sunday's election was triggered by Sanchez's earlier failure to pass a 2019 budget. But deeper challenges overshadowed the contest, a general frustration with the status quo that echoes the public discontent elsewhere in Western Europe. There's also widespread anger over the Catalan independence crisis, which critics say the left-wing government has failed to handle adequately. Number two, Oliver North, the central figure of the Iran-Contra scandal, was ousted as president of the National Rifle Association on Saturday, one day after NRA Executive Vice President Wayne LaPierre, long the face of the group, claimed that North had tried to extort him. The power struggle, which LaPierre appears to have won, was centered on what some claim are exorbitant payments to the group's outside counsel and a lawsuit that the NRA has filed against its longtime public relations firm, Ackerman McQueen. Ackerman McQueen oversees NRA TV, which has become increasingly hard right, not just on gun issues, but on every issue. The spat played out during the group's annual meeting in Indianapolis. Meanwhile, New York Attorney General Letitia James, a Democrat, has opened an investigation into the NRA's tax-exempt status. Number three, Trump sees the Supreme Court as an ally. He even said last week that he thinks the five Republican-appointed justices could protect him from impeachment. This has sowed fresh doubts about the court's impartiality, but Trump's confidence appears born of the fact that he's nominated two of the five justices that make up the court's conservative majority, Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh. The president told aides last week that he was pleased with Kavanaugh's questioning in the census case, in which it looks likely that the five conservatives will allow the government to ask questions about citizenship. Trying to coax him to retire so that he can pick his replacement, the president has been aggressively cultivating Justice Clarence Thomas and his wife, Ginny Thomas. They've had private dinners together at the White House, and Trump has been very accessible for Mrs. Thomas. She's a social conservative activist who vigorously opposes gay rights and abortion rights. Trump brags in meetings that he thinks he may get one or two more chances to remake the court because of his shrewd behind-the-scenes machinations and Ruth Bader Ginsburg's health challenges. Trump also repeatedly refers to Supreme Court justices as Democrats and Republicans, current and former aides say. 
Trump has told White House officials that he's willing to take the battle over his tax returns to the Supreme Court. He believes strongly that he would win, inside sources tell my colleague Josh Dossie. Two legal advisors to the president say the White House is also planning to fight most of the subpoenas being issued by House investigators. And they think they will have a receptive audience at the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. And then, if they can't win there, at the Supreme Court. Every judge matters. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, April 29th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.